What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 16 of Courtside Views. I'm your host, Andrew Bostic. We have officially reached calm before the storm territory. Trade deadline is approaching. It's approaching fast on February 10th. That is when the fun happens. Now, we really don't have a lot of NBA news to talk about, so we got to be on the lookout for those rumors that are coming up. I'm doing a full 30-team breakdown on social media. Check it out on Instagram as well as TikTok to get all of my feed and what's going on. Now, before we head into the style of what we're going to be doing today, uh, we're doing a preview of the Pretender versus Contender series, so I'm going to be covering four teams that I think are Pretenders or Contenders throughout the league, but we got to hop into a little bit of a game recap. There have been some great games over the past couple days, so let's hop into it. We have the Sixers versus the Grizzlies. It was an overtime thriller. No Joel Embiid, no problem. This game was a full-on battle between two really young guards. Obviously, you have John Morant and the emerging Tyrese Maxey. Tyrese Maxey came out firing. 33 points, 8 assists, and was blocking shots left and right. He finished the game with 4 blocks for a 6-2 guard. That's pretty damn impressive. Uh, what he's able to do on the court is Kind of wild from a young guard who is a combo guard coming out of Kentucky and has a lot of a knack for scoring, but not a lot of playmaking. And we're going to touch on him later on when we're covering the Sixers, but he has such a great eye for passing and so smart. He is only averaging 1.3 turnovers per game so far, and just seeing him and how meticulous he does, he does not take risks, which is why he really minimizes his game and he fits so perfectly into these offense. And Tobias also chipped in with no Joel Embiid. He was able to go out for 31-5-5 and... While I'm not the biggest Tobias Harris lover, I am going to give him a little bit of credit here. He stepped up when he needed to, and that was impressive to go out and get the win. But I don't think he's necessarily the right fit on this team right now. Um, The Grizzlies, that duo, man, John Morant and Desmond Bain, savages. Absolute savages. These guys are going to take the league by storm for a long time. I love what they're doing. They combined for 71 points in this game. Jaron Jackson also tipped in for a little bit of 18 But damn, dude, the Grizzlies are so fun to watch. John Morant's a superstar. It's so cool that he's going to be an all-star starter this year. Uh, It was a thriller. It was awesome to see the Sixers do finish out on top. But they are growing. They're young. Grizzlies are going to be a team to watch out for for a long time. Hopping into the Warriors versus the Rockets. Main reason I want to touch on this game is because Steph Curry finally broke out of his very long shooting slump. Steph Curry was shooting and missed 95 of his last 128 threes. He has never gone in his career on a streak like that. He is one, obviously, the greatest shooter of all time. So for him to go on that kind of streak, the Warriors were slumping. They were 4-6 and six in their last 10 games. They were not in their right mind. The Suns were able to take over as the number one seed in the NBA. So for them, for him to go out and pop off for 40 points, 9 assists, and top it off for 7-14 of 14 from the 3-point range, he came out and he took over. Granted, it was against the Warriors, who, against the Rockets, obviously, who aren't necessarily the greatest team in the league, but you got to tip their cap. Going off 40 and 9 is damn impressive. Now, from the Rockets' side, Kevin Porter Jr., man. Kevin Porter Jr. has showed little bit by little bit, he takes a lot of risks. He does the exact opposite of Tyrese Maxey, but he has flair, man. If he can control that, he's so young. He's only 21. He's going to be turning 22 soon. He has so much potential locked into that game, and... There's, there's so much opportunity. Gerald Green has come out and said that he could be the next James Harden. Now, granted, I think that's such an easy comp with the lefty-on-lefty comparison, but, I mean, you just see the talent that, that scouts and, and teammates and coaches think that he has. He finishes with 17 points and 11 assists. He does have that five turnovers. So, like I said, it's that high-risk, high-reward type of game. But 
you're starting to see that he is starting to take the reins as the starting point guard, that he feels like he can do it for the long haul. He feels like he can do it for the future. And because he's so young and this team is obviously going through a massive transition, if he can come through these next couple of years and really refine his game, this duo of him and Jalen Green growing together is going to be a problem. Hawks, Lakers. Damn, Lakers fans. I'm so sorry. Hawks come out on top, 129-121. The Lakers are falling and falling hard. They are 24-27. and That is good for ninth in the Western Conference. They are currently behind the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Kawhi-less and the Paul George-less Clippers, who are sitting at 7-8. and That is not who you want to be behind in the West. Russ Westbrook has come out and said, all you got to do is make the playoffs, and everybody's 0-0. and And I get that. That's the right mentality to have. But you guys are taking punch after punch after punch, and something's got to change. The only problem is trade deadline's approaching. Not a lot of assets to be made. I don't really see a massive roster overhaul. And unless this big superstar heads out in return, you know, trading Russell Westbrook, trading Anthony Davis, and Westbrook, you're not going to get a lot of return unless you're banking on John Wall going back to, you know, 2013 John Wall. That's just not happening. So the Lakers got a lot of problems they got to fix. But. They got their diamond in the rough, man. Malik Monk. Malik Monk popping off for 33 points with no LeBron James. Picking up 10 boards and 8 of 14 from threes. The dude's got the ultimate green light. Malik Monk might be the greatest veteran minimum signing in league history. The dude's making $1.3 million just absolutely chucking it from all sorts of range. He's doing anything he wants. He has earned himself a massive contract, whether with the Lakers or for another team. He's proven that he can be that that Jordan Clarkson type coming off the bench. I think that's his long-term role. I don't necessarily see him as a full starting shooting guard, so I think that that's going to be a perfect fit for him. But right now, he's rocking for the Lakers and taking advantage of every opportunity that he has. Trey Young. Trey Young, dude. 36-12. and 12. While obviously he's a massive liability on the defensive end, he is a magician on the offensive end. What he's able to do, how he has that ball on a string, and he is toying with every single Lakers defender they put at him. Nobody can stay in front of him. The shell of Avery Bradley, they put Malik Monk on him for a little bit. I mean, the uh, they like nothing. Austin Reeves, no matter who you put on him, like he just can't stay in front. He runs a tremendous prick and roll. He's so smart, and I think once he starts to level down those turnovers, I think he's obviously got a massive usage rate, very similar to like a Luka Doncic type. He just has so much responsibility on that offensive end. There's just not a lot of wiggle room for him from the turnovers perspective. If he can iron that out, holy hell, this Hawks team is going to be good. They got off to a really slow start. They were a bottom five team in the league after the first month of the season, and after going to a Western Conference Finals last year, that's not good. I'm sorry, not Western Conference, Eastern Conference Finals last year. You know, they had high expectations. They expected to come out and be a top dog. They expected to fight for one of the top seeds in the East, and they're doing what they can. They won seven in a row. They did lose yesterday. So for them to win seven of the last eight games, they're now in that top playing spot. They're in the they're in the seventh seed, so they have an opportunity to really go out there and make a difference and make a fight. This is a massive trade deadline for them as well. Do they go out and get a guy like Ben Simmons? Do they go out and you know give more minutes to Kevin Herter and DeAndre Hunter and let these guys flourish, or do they make that splash? It's going to be a big time decision to be made. And John Collins has voiced his frustrations about wanting more of the ball. If they don't think he's the right answer, yeah, you just gave him that five-year, $125 million extension. But opinions change fast. And this is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league. And if you think John Collins isn't it, you got to move on.
starting it off in the contender or pretender series, we are picking it off with the Chicago Bulls. The Chicago Bulls are 31-18, and 18, good for the number one seed in a stacked Eastern Conference. They are led by the trio of DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, and Nikolai Vucevic. They are an offensive firepower. They're a juggernaut. I mean, just the way that they can flow the game on offense, run the ball through Vooch in the high post, swing it over to DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine can go get his touches. They also have great filler guys like Lonzo Ball, Kobe White, Alex Caruso. The list goes on and on in that. Ayo DeSuma has been able to step up with Caruso and Lonzo Ball out in injury. They're starting to get a little bit of guard depth. They have an opportunity to really grow that. There's just a massive, massive weakness on this team that you just, just cannot go understated. As soon as Patrick Williams went down for the year, you saw their defense just start to tailor off. They're starting DeMar DeRozan at four, and yes, he has so many mismatches on the offensive end, and that's why he's really been able to thrive as an offensive hub and why he's been able to really be in those conversations for you know a low-key MVP candidate and an all-star starter. But on the defensive end, when you have Vooch as your back-end center, you're going to have questions. And I just don't think long-term that that's going to be figured out. Uh, trade deadline's approaching, and unless they're going to go out there and go get a guy like a Nerlens Noel, go and get a guy that's going to be your back-end rim protector off the bench who can substitute for Vooch, who can even play together because Vooch can play that four. They can run a bigger lineup because Noel can be that paint presence. But it's tough. I just don't necessarily know what that's going to be because their defenses right now is in the middle of the average. They're right there at 16 uh, for defensive efficiency. And a lot of that credit goes to guys like Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball. Their defensive efficiency leads from the perimeter attack, but as soon as they get into a paint, Vooch is a revolving door, man. He got off to a strong start, as all the Bulls did in the first month of the season, but they are starting to fade. They are starting to be a really not-so-great defensive team. And they're being led by offense. They're winning a lot of close games. They have a 7-3 and record by games that are decided by less than two points. That's very impressive. So for them, it's I'm not saying it's a lot of luck, but they are getting the ball when they need to and winning those close games. How long can that go on when you're just not an elite defensive team? You hear the old adage, defense wins championships. I'm not necessarily too sure that this Bulls team can do that. Now, you have this guard depth. I really love Lonzo Ball, and I love Alex Caruso. Obviously, you just gave me the extensions. Kobe White's a big question for me. I think that with the emergence of Ayo DeSumo, there's only so many minutes to go around. And I just don't necessarily know if Kobe White is going to be that guy that's going to stick around, especially as he's headed to restrictor free agency. They do not have cap space in Chicago. There is no money at all to be passed around. So I think he has to be your trade piece. He has to be the guy that just gets moved. He cannot stay here long term. But where does he go? Do you go and move him to a New York and go get Nerlens Noel. You know, do you go and move him to the Dallas Mavericks? I know I touched on this before uh, online, that going to get Dwight Powell, who is a force defensively. He's a great rebounder. He uses his body. He's incredible defensive awareness. He would fit into this team very well, playing at center as well as power forward. You know, going to get a guy like Maxi Kleber, also on the Dallas Mavericks. He fits in well with this team. Like, those are where you need to do. You need to support the front court because Tony Bradley is just not the answer. You know, playing Jerron Grant, who's a six foot four guard who's just strong as hell and athletic and running him out there at power forward to, you know, go and spell DeMar DeRozan isn't the answer. Patrick Williams, unfortunately, is not coming back. So if you really truly believe that you're going to win and try and make a finals run this year, you have to make that 
you have to make a trade like that. You have to shore up this front end. And until they do that, I'm going to call this team a pretender. I don't think that they're going to be able to make it in really into an Eastern Conference Finals. I don't even think they'll make it out of the second round. I think from a matchup perspective, if this East is loaded, the Eastern Conference is absolutely stacked across the board. You have teams like the Milwaukee Bucks, who are the current sixth seed, who are only a game and a half behind the number one seed. So the Bulls can fall real easily. And if they match up with a team like the Cleveland Cavaliers or the Milwaukee Bucks, who are giants on the offensive end, defensive end, that's a matchup nightmare for them. And I can see them losing in six games to either one of those teams. And all of a sudden, you're looking at a team that has finals aspirations losing in the first round. So for me, the Chicago Bulls are a pretender. Next team up, the Philadelphia 76ers. I am a Joel Embiid stan. I think Joel Embiid, I've said it before and I will say it again, he is the best player in the NBA when he is healthy. He is a two-way force, and the argument will always be who's better between him and Nikolai Jokic. I think Jokic does an incredible job. He's obviously one of the best players in the league. He's the reigning MVP, and what he's able to do as a passer is incredible. But the two-way impact that Joel Embiid has to be able to be a defensive and offensive hub, and you see him getting more involved from a playmaking perspective, you haven't seen this kind of defensive impact since like an Akeem Olajuwon type. Shaquille O'Neal footwork type just being a body presence in the paint, deterring, blocking shots. He's only averaging 1.4 blocks, but he's in the top 10 when it comes to shots altered as well as shots um, contested at the paint. That's incredible for what he's able to do. And it's just so hard when you see their second best player not playing. There's so much Ben Simmons drama, and unfortunately, I think as long as Ben Simmons is on this team not playing and being an offside distraction, they're pretenders. They have to make a trade at the trade deadline to move Ben Simmons. Something has to give. You have to give this guy support. Joel Embiid is giving you everything that his body has to give this team a championship run, and it's not fair because you're asking Tobias Harris, who is being overpaid out the ass, to be a number two option on this team, and at best, he's a low-end number three on a crappy team. He's making all the money, but right now he's being asked to be the number two option, and he looks terrible doing it. He's trying to create offense. He's trying to initiate offense. Yes, he's averaging almost four assists a game, but he looks terrible. His stats are 19 points, seven boards, and almost four assists. Statistically, not bad, but you see him in the flow of offense. He has never run a pick and roll between him and Joel Embiid because it looks so clunky and so terrible. He makes very bad quick decisions. He gets the ball, he holds it for two, three seconds, pounds the rock and shoots so many mid-range jump shots. He doesn't get in the paint like he used to and he just doesn't get through the flow of offense. He's not shooting as many catch and shoots because Ben's not setting him up. And Maxi, while he's being a great playmaker, Tyrese Maxey's averaging 3.8 assists per turnover like I stated before. But He's not that true playmaker. He's not really going to give you in those right spots off a pick and roll. You know, he still has that combo guard mentality. He's creating a little bit, which is amazing, and he's he's greatly efficient. But he's not going to set up Tobias in the spots that Ben knows how to set him up in. So until that Ben situation gets resolved, this team will not win a championship. And it sucks because Joel Embiid has had so many injuries, and he just has not caught a break. And now for him to finally be healthy and finally pushing through and doing everything for this city, for this team, for this fan base, it's just like, what else does he need to do? And now Daryl Morey's playing hardball with Ben Simmons. Trade the guy. Trade him. Get him out. Get him out of the city. 
ship them off to Oklahoma City, ship them off to some dump. Who cares? Get something in return. Get a De'Aaron Fox type. Get a D'Angelo Russell. Get a Tyrese Halliburton. Bring in something that will help Joel Embiid get to the NBA Finals because he deserves to make a run. The Eastern Conference is loaded, and until Ben Simmons gets traded, this team will always be a pretender. The Miami Heat, on the other hand, are a contender. They are an absolute contender. They are 32-19. They are the number two team in the East. They are led by former Philadelphia superstar Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler is the icon, is the leader, is the pedestal man for the Miami Heat culture. He leads by example in every way, shape, and form for what this team needs to do. The Miami Heat run through Jimmy Butler. He's playing like 2020 NBA bubble Jimmy Butler. And that is so, so fucking fun to watch. He's averaging 22-6-6 since he came back from injury, since he came back from his COVID leave. Two steals per game. He is in the top five of performance and PER in the league. That's incredible. What he does is go so much beyond the stat sheet on the defensive end. He's an all-NBA defender. He's an all-NBA player. He won't get MVP votes, but he will potentially be a first-team all-NBA player. That's just how good Jimmy Butler is. But they're deep. They are absolutely deep. There were a lot of questions in this roster coming in. Bringing Kyle Lowry, who... You know, 35 years old, a lot of question marks. You know, Chris Paul has success, but can Kyle Lowry continue to do it? What Kyle Lowry has brought to this team, he has taken Heat culture to another level of his veteran leadership, his playmaking. He is having a very down shooting year. He's only shooting 41% from the field, and he's only shooting 32% from three. Shooting the ball, not great. Playmaking, he's in the top five in assists. He is playing incredible lockdown defense in the point guard spot. And he is just getting this team set up and fired up every single night. Whether he's playing with superstars like Jimmy Butler, Bam, and Tyler Hero, or he's playing with bench guys like Omar Yurtseven, Gabe Vincent, or Duncan Robinson. He is out there giving it 110% and living up to everything Miami Heat is asking for. And he's making them show and say, hey, I want to be here. I want to set the example. And he wants to win a damn NBA championship. And I love that. But you can't forget about two more guys. Tyler Hero, man. Tyler Hero got dumped on last year. The sophomore slump, he popped off in the NBA bubble. 30 points as a rookie against the Lakers in the NBA Finals. Absolute stud. Kind of falls off last year. Doesn't reach those expectations. You know, the Miami Heat refused to add him to trades for Bradley Beal. So it's like, if you're holding him to that kind of standard, like, this guy better pop off. And he just didn't. Now you see what he is and what he can be. He is a lighted-up scorer. He is getting a lot more physical. He's getting in the paint. For a guard to average over five rebounds per game off the bench, that's impressive. He is a low-key all-star and is the absolute leading man for six-man of the year, averaging over 20 points per game, shooting over 40% from three. And a lot of what he does, he creates for himself. He does so much off the dribble. He doesn't do a lot off the catch and shoot. Doesn't really come off a lot of screens because he's leading that second unit. And he does finish the games, which is very impressive. He is in that closing lineup playing with Kyle Lowry, playing with Jimmy Butler, playing with P.J. Tucker, playing with Bam. Like this lineup, this team is disgusting. Bam out of bio just brings this team together as a two-way defensive force. He's a unicorn, man. Bam can do anything. You've seen him go body to body with guys like Jason Tatum at the rim. Body to body with Joel Embiid and holds his own. 
He's a 20, 10, and 5 kind of guy. That's just who he is. And you don't see a lot of big men averaging those kind of stat lines. That's like the Joel Embiid's, the Nikolai Jokic's, the Demonis Sabonis on the offensive end. But he brings it as a potential top five rim protector in the league. This team is just a next man up mentality. They have been ravaged by injuries, ravaged by COVID. And I give so much credit to, in my opinion, the second best coach in the NBA, Eric Spolstra. As long as Greg Popovich is walking this earth, he is the greatest coach in the NBA currently and will always. But the second he retires, Eric Spolstra shoots right up to the number one spot. And I don't even really think it's up for discussion. Eric Spolstra can do anything. He is a proven NBA champion. He has taken teams to the NBA Finals, even without LeBron James or all these superstars. He can do anything. And I think this year he needs to be one of the leading candidates for Coach of the Year because of all the injuries, all of everything. He is taking guys like Gabe Vincent and giving them starring roles and starting roles and Cody Martin, and just letting them rock. And they're at one point, and they're only half game back of the number one seed. They can go out there and win. They're going to play defense. They're a top three defense in the NBA. And that is what's going to set them apart from a team like the Chicago Bulls. They're going to go and fight for an NBA championship. They're going to go toe-to-toe with the Milwaukee Bucks, with the Brooklyn Nets. And that is why they are a contender to me. Last but not least, the Utah Jazz. The Utah Jazz... 30 and 21 they started off super hot they were in that conversation for best team in the nba they were fighting the warriors they were fighting the suns they were a top three team constantly the three teams in the nba were the best were out in the west it was those two and the utah jazz and they have come crumbling back to earth holy hell 13 games they have lost 11 of those they are cold as ice And it's so tough because Donovan Mitchell is an offensive hub for this team. He looks like an all-star this year again. Rudy Gobert is playing out of his mind. I have talked so much junk about Rudy Gobert, but from an absolute statistic and analytical standpoint, Rudy Gobert is doing everything. Top five in PER. Without him, the Utah Jazz are the 28th, so the third worst defense in the NBA. When he's on there, they are top five defense. He obviously has his mismatches. He can get played off the court. But in the regular season, Rudy Gobert is arguably the best defense player in the league. And I understand that. Donovan Mitchell can do everything on the offensive end. The question is, what else is there? This team is not deep. Unfortunately, Joe Ingles was just lost to a torn ACL. So what else do they have? Their starting lineup currently is Mike Connolly, Donovan Mitchell, Royce O'Neal, Bogdan Bogdanovich, as well as Rudy Gobert. Off the bench, they have Jordan Clarkson, former sixth man of the year. And they have Rudy Gay? Like, I don't really know if that's an impressive lineup. That's a good six players, a good seven players. But after that, I mean, if you're banking on Hassan Whiteside to give you 20, 25 good minutes in the NBA playoffs, I would not be thinking you're an NBA champion. I would not be thinking that you are an NBA contender. It's just, it's so hard because the Utah Jazz are are trying to do everything they can, but I personally just do not believe in the backcourt of Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell. I think they're both great players. Don't get me wrong, but it's very similar to like when I look at a Cavaliers young backcourt of Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. I think when you separate them and you put them with just slightly bigger guards, they're both going to find success. You see what Darius Garland has been able to do with Isaac Okoro, as well as what I think hopefully Colin Sexton will get that chance to do in the near future. 
Right now, Donovan Mitchell is guarding like six foot five, six foot six guards because Mike Connolly is just a liability on the defensive end. The dude's thirty five; like he just doesn't have it anymore. He needs to be around a defensive stud. That's why I've mocked that the Celtics are going to trade Marcus Smart and potentially another contract, maybe a young player, a first round pick, whatever it is, to the Utah Jazz for Mike Connolly because that puts Marcus Smart next to Donovan Mitchell. It puts Donovan Mitchell in the point guard spot. He's a great playmaker. He has a great basketball IQ, and he can be a Dame Lillard type in that offensive hub role and just let it rock. And that gives him Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart is an all-NBA defender. You don't need him to be this offensive hub playmaker, but he's a great secondary playmaker. He can give you four or five assists a game. He can knock down a couple threes. Is he an elite three-point shooter? No, but he's an elite defender, and that's going to give you so much help for Rudy Gobert and giving him an actual competent wing defender. Royce O'Neal's good, but he's more of a perimeter defender. He's more of a, you know, back-to-the-basket defender in that sense. He's just Royce O'Neal. I'm not banking on him. Bojan Vidanovic is what he is. Good scorer, can get you 17-8 to the game. is a complete liability on the defensive end. So unless that trade goes down, that's really the only way that I see this team stepping back into that top three because Memphis has completely overtaken them. They are 11 games back in the number one seed, and they are eight games back of the top of the third seed. So they're at the four seed, but there is a very large gap between the Suns, the Warriors, as well as the Memphis Grizzlies. So until the Utah Jazz make a trade, this roster does not cut it for me. This roster currently is going to go up against the Denver Nuggets, who is currently the five seed. If they get back Murray at some point, if they get back Michael Porter, if they get back one of those two, not even both, the Nuggets beat the Jazz in six. Because Gobert can't guard Jokic for 35 minutes. He can't guard him for 40 minutes. He's going to get played off the court, no problem. And now you're taking your best defender off the court. The matchup is just an absolute nightmare for the Utah Jazz. And that would be just absolutely terrible. That would be like playing the Clippers again, like they did last year. And unfortunately, in that scenario, and that's in that just situation, there's no way the Utah Jazz make it out of the first round. Utah Jazz... You're a pretender. We haven't seen a league this top-heavy in a very long time. The Eastern Conference between seeds 1 through 6 are separated by two games. The Western Conference has completely tiered off with teams like the Phoenix Suns, the Golden State Warriors, and the Memphis Grizzlies being separated by three games and then sledding right into the four seeds, the Utah Jazz, who are separated by 11 games from the top seed. With that kind of imbalance in the league, the Eastern Conference could be starting to pull away as the favorites against the Western Conference. And it's been the West has been leading over and over and over for a very long time with the Golden State Warriors run and what they've been able to do. So I'm excited to see this kind of parity in the league. I'm excited to see that this depth is really starting to show and it's going to make for an incredible NBA playoffs. Also with the play-in tournament, you're going to see a lot more teams being buyers of the trade deadline, which is exciting. It gets the fans excited. You know, there really aren't a lot of sellers, so there's just so much speculation and so much conversation to be had. You know, just be on the lookout. I appreciate you guys coming by. Thank you so much. That's going to wrap it up for episode 16 of Courtside Views. I'm your host, Andrew Bostic. Be sure to check us out on all forms of social media, TikTok, Instagram. Check us out on Spotify. Give us five stars if you guys are enjoying it. Let us know your view. See if you guys want to comment. If you disagree, agree, let me know. We'll see you guys next time.